This is a Federal News Network podcast. Welcome to Fed Life, a weekly roundup of news about federal pay and benefits, employment policy, and investing and retirement planning. Brought to you by WEPA. Here's your host, Tom Temin. Welcome to the show. It's an old story, but an enduring one. Thousands of retired federal employees from the Civil Service Retirement System days feel they are being unfairly denied benefits. That's because of the Social Security provisions known as the Windfall Elimination Provision and the Government Pension Offset. A recent survey conducted by Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger's office showed just how frustrated people are. Spanberger plans to use the survey results to push legislation that would get rid of the WEP and GPO. For details, Federal News Network's Eric White discussed it with Spanberger. So the government pension offset and the windfall elimination provisions are two unfair provisions that negatively impact retirees who have spent their professional lives devoted to service, either as federal employees or as public servants. Uh, across the country, particularly impacted are police officers, teachers, firefighters. And really, there is a problem within current law, which is what we seek to change, that impacts negatively the Social Security payments that retirees receive. The windfall elimination provision and the government pension offset provision, these are two provisions that basically reduce substantially the amount of Social Security that retirees receive based on the the pensions that they might have earned through their service, uh, again, as public servants. And what our legislation would do would just eliminate what is, in fact, uh, I think, a problem in the law uh, that allows for these retirees to not receive the full amount of the Social Security that they have paid into the system and that they have earned. And so our legislation is pretty straightforward. It removes both of these provisions that so negatively and disproportionately impact uh, public servant retirees uh, and allows them to collect the Social Security that they've earned through their working careers. Before we get into your legislation and you're referencing the Social Security Fairness Act that you reintroduced uh, early in January, how did we get to this point? And, you know, was it just sort of an oversight or was were there good intentions when the when both provisions were put in or what happened there? So uh, the reality is, is that I think at one point in time, it probably made sense to somebody somewhere that if you're a retiree retiring with a pension, that's your retirement plan. And and some lawmakers somewhere felt comfortable having that impact the Social Security payments that, that individuals are receiving. But, you know, for so many teachers or police officers who spend their career serving our communities and, and then might work elsewhere after retiring. Certainly so many police officers who retire relatively young continue on with a second career and they pay into Social Security uh, and they should be able to receive the the full funds for which they are eligible that they paid into the system. So presumably at some point in time it made sense to some lawmaker. It certainly has never made sense to me. But this is an issue that I've been focused on since I first frankly started campaigning. It's something that was brought to me by constituents in the 7th District, we are a district with many, many federal retirees who are impacted by this, by these two unfair provisions, um, as well as retired police officers. Uh, notably, the Capitol Police officers are impacted by this and, you know, in their personal capacity have done tremendous advocacy, making sure that lawmakers understand that, you know, the, the, the folks protecting them every day are negatively impacted by this, by this law. 
And so it's a straightforward change. It's the elimination of these two unfair provisions. And it's just making sure that the people who paid into Social Security for work that they did, money that's supposed to be there in their retirement is. Uh, and it's also ensuring that uh, a widow or a widower on losing a spouse who's been a, a federal employee or public servant uh, impacted by these provisions you know, d- doesn't see the, the support meant to help them in their retirement as a surviving spouse, that it is also not negatively impacted because the stories are really tragic. The people who've committed themselves to a, to a life of, of serving their community and serving their country and ultimately, you know, nobody's asking for any special treatment. Literally, it's just the dollars that they paid into Social Security that had they chosen a different career path would be there and available to them. And speaking of those stories, in an effort to showcase them, your office recently launched a survey asking for respondents from inside and outside of your district. And I'm just curious on how that idea came about and what you heard from the folks who these provisions do affect. So we operate fairly frequently on a whole host, soliciting not only the opinions of constituents, but the stories of constituents. And the response that we received related to the government pension offset, related to the windfall elimination provision, and the impact that those provisions have had on constituents, the, the response was overwhelming. Thousands of respondents responding to my office, telling their stories of how they've been impacted, what these unfair provisions have meant for them, and why they support the Social Security Fairness Act, which is the legislation that that I am leading with Gary Graves. We are up to about 5,000 respondents so far, which is, again, we do surveys very frequently, uh, and the number of responses we've had are absolutely astounding compared to, to past efforts to solicit information, feedback, side stories. From and a little bit of history on this bill itself, and you're reintroducing it this time around, and you have a lot of co-sponsors signing on what is you know necessarily and i know that a lot of things go into uh what gets passed and what doesn't but what has sort of been the holdup i guess uh, if there is that much support for it within congress not only that and by you know the people that it affects right now we're at 223 co-sponsors um you know when, when everybody's there and voting we need 218 to pass a piece of legislation so we are already at the place where we know that this legislation would pass on the House floor if when it's brought to a vote. Last Congress, we got to more than 290 co-sponsors, which is an important threshold because at 290 co-sponsors, we can actually force bills to the floor, force bills through committee. Um, unfortunately, we reached that point a little bit late, got pushed forth through committee, but we were unable to get a floor vote. I, I was very, very critical of efforts last Congress and certainly what I, I perceived uh, and assessed to be an, an unwillingness uh, with within leadership to bring this incredibly important bill forward. Um, and so I continue to work with my uh, Republican colleague, Eric Graves of Louisiana, to ensure that we aggressively get this bill to 290 earlier so that leadership within the House, the Speaker of the House, has no, has no alternative action other than to bring this for a vote. And so we work, we're working currently to build out our uh, co-sponsors, get it. You know, we're already at passage level with 223 currently, you know, and we're only a couple months into the new Congress. And certainly there's so many new members, so Garrett and I have been doing a lot of work making sure that new members who were just elected understand this issue, know how it might impact their constituents, and, uh, and sign on to the legislation. So we're pushing aggressively for it to come forward 
it is legislation that impacts so many communities and uh, frankly speaking when people find out about it and it's very clear sense how these provisions just fairly impact retirees people are people are supportive when they learn about it yeah did you utilize these responses from the survey uh, in order to maybe convince some people who may may have not been against it but just didn't know about it and to your other colleagues that are on the hill we are starting to do that you know certainly uh, since I was first running for Congress. Um, and, and so some of those stories I have I have brought forward, now I have many, many more. You know, and, and I noticed that some Capitol Police officers in their personal capacity have been doing some lobbying on Capitol to make sure that members of Congress are aware of this issue and how it impacts them and others like them. But we also have quite a few retired Capitol Police officers among those who answered the survey just to kind of really... I think that's an impactful element because, you know, just as the Capitol Police officers are impacted by this, so too are so many federal retirees, uh, retired teachers throughout you know, the country, retired firefighters, retired police officers. And so the the challenge is just making sure that members of Congress are aware and that this is a pretty straightforward fix and that it's, it's really, truly just an issue of fairness. In terms of what are the challenges, you know, talking about long-term issues related to Social Security can sometimes become uh, partisan quickly. Garrett and I have worked very hard to make sure that the co-sponsors of this legislation are broadly represented across the board in terms of political party affiliation, in terms of geographic location, and the types of communities that we represent, um, and, and intend to keep this a totally bipartisan issue. But I, I think that one of the complicating factors is at times, you know, anytime we're talking about Social Security, because that does quickly get into the realm of uh, some partisan argument. This legislation itself is straightforward. This legislation is wholly bipartisan. And so we're going to continue pushing it forward. We want it to come for a vote. We want it to come for a vote in the House, and we want the Senate to be prepared to take it up when it does. Because, of course, you know, votes in both houses will be necessary to getting the bill to the president's staff. Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger speaking with Federal News Network's Eric White. We'll take a short break, and when we return, how more federal employees can get that magic million dollars into their thrift savings plan accounts. I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. Welcome back to FedLife here on Federal News Network. The number of so-called TSP millionaires, mostly long-serving feds who have a million dollars or more in their thrift savings plan accounts, waxes and wanes. But retired federal manager and financial counselor Abe Grungold thinks a lot more people ought to reach that million-dollar level. Yes, I believe there should be many, many more TSP millionaires And I want every federal employee and retiree has the opportunity to be a TSP millionaire. And with today's salaries, that should be achievable during a federal career. But I believe there are two traits that federal employees and retirees have that causes them not to reach that pinnacle level. All right. I was going to say there might be three traits, 
fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But what are your two traits? Mine are procrastination and fear. Federal employees procrastinate contributing to the TSP. They tend to focus on things which are important to them, such as I want to pay off my school loans. I want to travel or save for a wedding. But they need to get the idea of contributing into their TSP as part of their DNA when they're federal employees. This should begin the first day of employment. And does not first day of employment, though, enroll you automatically in the TSP? Yes. Federal employees who now, as new employees, they have to do a mandatory contribution, but that contribution is only 5%, which entitles them to the 5% matching that the government provides. That is an excellent start. But during my career, and I was a low-level employee in the beginning years, I contributed to the maximum of which I could afford, which it was at least 10%. Now, if a federal employee contributes 10% of their salary, along with the 5% match, during a 20 to 25-year federal career, there's an excellent chance for them to become a TSP millionaire if and only if they can overcome their fear. And the fear comes from only investing in the G fund. If you're going to be a federal employee and you only invest in the G fund, the likelihood of you being a TSP millionaire is going to be slim. And many reasons that federal employees do not invest aggressively with their thrift savings plan is they don't want to see even $1 decrease in the balance of their account. They feel that the other accounts are too volatile, or they keep thinking that there's going to be a recession. So that causes them to not invest aggressively. We're speaking with Abe Grungold, retired federal manager, now a financial consultant. So you have to balance living with savings, and even the most aggressive counselors for savings will say, don't forget to live a little bit while you're working, but it's a matter of making sure that that baseline is always there no matter what, sounds like. Yes, look, I always enjoyed myself when I was a federal employee. I traveled, I played golf, I did all the normal things that a person would do, but I had it in my DNA to think, pay yourself first, contribute as much as you can afford to the thrift savings plan and invest as aggressively as you can tolerate. Now, to become a TSP millionaire, it's somewhat of a simple formula. It's maximizing your contributions, invest as aggressively as you can tolerate, and time. The more time that you spend as a federal employee, that will help you to achieve your goal. Well, you can probably calculate if you say a 5% return on investment on average, and you know how much you're contributing every year, there must be a formula that can say, this is the date on which you'll hit that million dollar mark? Well, you do have to apply a percentage for growth in addition to your contributions. And I always picked a conservative 7%. 
And if you contribute for 20 to 25 years, 7%, you can hit it. And you could have a salary of a minimum of $50,000, $60,000. Now, the TSP has a history, 35-year history of experience with their investments. So you will know the track record of how they will perform. But there is a critical factor and why there are not more TSP millionaires. And that critical factor is that federal agencies are concerned about employee retention. This is what they talk about, employee retention, but they are not educating the employees on this very important benefit. Unfortunately, the federal employee is responsible to learn and educate themselves on their thrift saving plan benefit. Right. So in other words, the expression of the value of the TSP, of the long-term investment strategy in it, could be a retention tool for federal employees. Absolutely, Tom. When I was introduced to the TSP in 1987, 88, I, I can't remember offhand, but I remember that presentation that they made. And after seeing the slides and the charts, a light bulb went off in my head that said, I can achieve this. I was only in my second year as a federal employee, but having an accounting and a finance background, I knew I could achieve this. So federal agencies need to educate. They provide their employees with so much training in so many different areas for them to do their job. But if they want to retain these valuable employees, they're going to have to educate them on how important their thrift saving benefit is. And what is the significance of that million dollar mark? I mean, everyone subscribes to it. I subscribe to it. And a million, even in this day and age, if you have that in your savings, can throw off a pretty good supplement to your income with those required minimum withdrawals. Yes, the million dollar goal is basically one part of three parts of your retirement. The first part is the first annuity. The second part is Social Security. And the third part is your thrift saving plan. So, you know, I used to say it's a three-legged stool that you should be sitting comfortably when you reach retirement. Now, if you have additional savings, it's a four-legged stool. Due to the change of the federal retirement system from the CSRS program to the FERS program, employees have that responsibility to save a significant portion of their salary to fulfill their retirement needs, where the CSRS program, you didn't have to do that as a federal employee. Right. So then for those that have not been saving at the maximum they can afford or the maximum allowed, as you say, 10% plus that 5% match, it's never too late though, is it? No, it's not too late. It's never too late. I have you know many clients who really just start thinking about saving for their retirement in their 40s and 50s and then say, you know, I should be maximizing my contribution. But there are many employees who are thinking about it early on as they should. But it is so important for the agency to have training for their employees, along with ethics training, along with security in the workplace training, 
along with threat management training, to have that important training, give it to the employee each year as a retention tool for each agency to say, look, if you work 25 years with the government, you can become a TSP millionaire and you can have a wonderful career at the same time. Yeah, I can see the name on the pamphlet now, How to Be a Millionaire Without Really Trying. Exactly, Tom. It takes a little effort, just a little effort on the part of the employee. But, you know, unfortunately, employees today do not think long term. They're not thinking about retirement. They're not thinking about long term care needs. They're not thinking about Social Security. These issues never come to mind when you're right out of college and you hit the ground running in in a federal position. You're just thinking about how can I do a great job and advance my career. Retired federal manager and consultant Abe Grungold. That's it for this week's FedLife. As always, drop us a line with what you'd like us to cover. Until next week, I'm Tom Temin. Thanks for listening to FedLife here on Federal News Radio, part of the Federal News Network. You can listen to this episode and any past episodes anytime at federalnewsnetwork.com or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Search FedLife.